Before I start this week's episode, I want to acknowledge recent events. Racism persists as much as ever, and it has cost one too many Black lives. In a moment, we're going to take nine seconds of silence to acknowledge the nine gruesome minutes George Floyd was suffocated and murdered at the hands of a white police officer. Please join me in honoring the lives of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and the rest of the Black community. Friends, let's do our best to keep leaning into this tension. Let's listen to voices that are often silenced. Let's acknowledge how we can do better and follow through and actually do better. The world won't change in a day, but stay engaged, do the work, and it will make a difference. To the Black community, we stand with you. Hey friends. Welcome back to the Beautiful Tension Podcast. My name is Gary, and I'm stoked you're tuning in. This podcast, Beautiful Tension, is a place where we talk about the hard things we've been through, yet we also acknowledge the beauty that's come from those things. We talk about resilience, what it looks like to make this world better, and so much more. Joining us for today's episode is Kari Gale. Kari is an artist, but she didn't always feel like one. After following the script society had given her, and then watching her life fall apart, she decided to pick up the pieces and chose a new adventure. Eventually, she found a life that she loves. We talk about creativity, comparison, and so much more. Kari has a great heart, she's so talented as an artist, and she brings joy to everyone she meets. If you've met her, you know what I'm talking about. You can feel her warmth in our interview, even while she shares about hard things she's been through. I'm incredibly excited for this episode, and I know you'll enjoy it. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Kari, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. What does it feel like to be on the other end of a podcast? It's funny because we're we're so close distance-wise, <laughs> and I feel like we're like so professional, like being on the you know, recording. And I, I'm like, I could just walk across the yard and hang out with you in the living room and we could talk about this. But <laughs> I know. <laughs> so it feels it feels actually it feels like I'm just having a conversation with a good friend with you. So I love it. No, it is. I'm so excited for this. I, I mean, there's so much to your story that has really inspired me. And I've loved being your friend uh, these last couple of years. And do we say property mate <laughs> the last year? <laughs> yes. Neighbors. Neighbors. Really, really close neighbors. Really close neighbors sharing land. So to kick us off, however you want to answer this question, but who are you? How do you describe yourself? Oof, let's start with an easy one. So I, I would probably, you know, if I'm meeting someone at a party, I would probably say that I'm a, an artist and an illustrator, and that is my first love. And what I consider my vocation, I also work other jobs to pay the bills. One of those is working at a nonprofit, a therapeutic school, and the other is doing events. And both of those things right now during COVID are, are pretty much shut down. I, I do events for the school. I'm not a teacher. So all of the event world happenings, of course, are not happening. So I tend to do some communications and things for them, but 
primarily, if I was to describe myself, I, I would, I think I would call myself an artist. I'm also, I'm also a writer, which is harder for me to say. I've published two books of illustrations, which also have my writing in them. So I guess you can say I'm a published author and I love doing, doing those things so much that I do them regardless of whether I, I earn income from them or not. And those things are, um, something that I fought really hard for in my life to bring to the surface as far as a priority for me. So yeah, I'm such a, it's funny, things change so quickly in life that I don't have a set, this is who I am. You know, if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have had said something terribly different. So, um, but right now that's who I am. Hmm. I'm not going to lie. There's some bias in asking this question, but I'm really curious about your journey as an artist because I think there's a lot of suppositions we have or assumptions we make about maybe feeling like we're not a so-called artist because we haven't published or we haven't had a show or whatever it is respective to our own trade. And there's a lot of insecurities that can come from that. So what's that process been like for you? That is, that's such a good point. And I think every person, every creative person, every maker across the world struggles with this. We all, even at the top of our game or people that are really successful, I've heard interviews of very successful creatives who have imposter syndrome, which is this idea that they don't belong and they're never good enough to be in that category that they're trying to, to sort of live in. For me, it's kind of come down to the point that well, if you go back to my childhood, I, I, I sort of assumed that being an artist was a person that you had to, you had to earn money. You had to, it had to be your, your way of making a living. So I grew up with my father being an architect, which is definitely a creative person, and that was his business. And very quickly in my, my young, optimistic, idealistic viewpoint of wanting to become an artist, I was very quickly dissuaded from that idea by, by my, my father with the idea that I could never make a living at it. So in my 12-year-old brain, that's what equated to being an artist is, can you make a living from this? Then, then if not, you're just going to do it as a quote-unquote hobby. And the word hobby, we were, I actually was talking about this with my boyfriend the other day, who's also an artist. It's such an interesting word. Like, what does that mean? Is it, do people think of it as less than? I think there's a whole conversation around this idea of how do I feel that I've, I'm worthy of being an artist or calling myself an artist. And what I really have come down to, Gary, is that if I'm doing artistic things, creative things, then I'm an artist. It doesn't have to equate to anything. Because really, my whole sort of journey, and I struggle with this every single day, and every time I make a piece, I want to value the process more than the product. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a three on the Enneagram, so the product is super important to me, but in my own journey of trying to be a healthier, holistic person, I want to value the process. And so any person, to me, that's involved in the process of making anything is a, is a creative person, they're an artist. So that's, that's how I have distilled it down, and you might ask 100 people and get 100 different answers, but I had a compliment the other day from a very dear friend. And she is my friend who I'm collaborating with on the 100 Day Project, which I've been posting on Instagram and you know all about. And she's a writer. And she was saying that I have been an example to her as a person who 
has continued to make, bring art into their life in a way that is meaningful, even if I haven't been a person that has, has been able to devote my entire life to art, that she would look to me as someone who was an example of how to be a person in the world, making art a priority, but not necessarily having to have to make my living from it. And I thought that was a, that was a really amazing compliment to me because I don't know that I ever want to earn all my money from art. I just this week, Gary, I'm having, you know, challenges with a commission piece. And every time I do a commission piece, I just really struck by how much I love doing my own projects because no one's telling me what to do. Right. Yeah. So, so that, that's kind of a longer answer to that question, but yeah. Yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing all that. I think about it a lot in my own way, being someone who I'll go ahead and call myself a writer. I've been writing for years and venturing into other art and creative projects as of late. So it's fun to to pick your brain and to hear about your process and also where you've come and what perspective has really helped helped you in your process. Yeah. Yes, you are a writer. You 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 write. You write all the time and you're a good writer and I I think regardless of there's this quote and I'm not going to quote him properly, but Andy Warhol said that this idea of criticism of like, oh, I only can be a writer or an artist if people like what I do. And he said, it's not our job to, to do the critiquing. Let other people do the critiquing. And while they're critiquing, go make more stuff. And I mean, that's a very loose translation of that. But I love that. Like, just make your work. And if your drive is that other people will like it, then you probably need to re-examine uh, why you're doing work, you know? And doesn't mean that they're not artists, but but I think that they will. I think if you're if you're being driven by your own desires and passions about what you want to draw, then I think you're you're going to find way more contentment and satisfaction in your work than if you're doing it for other people. Which is hard for a three, mind you. I have that's what I have to work on all the time is not being driven by other people's perspectives of me. So. Yeah. No. And there's two pieces or two things that come to mind for me too. With this, first of all, I've been reading a lot of Brene Brown <laughs> during quarantine because I have all the time in the world. And one one of the things she writes about a lot is that vulner well, how creativity is vulnerable and how that fear of vulnerability is often the thing that keeps us from being creative. So in Daring Greatly, which I'm reading right now, she tells a story of a young man who as a kid was very creative doing lots of art and then his father maybe similar to yours in some ways kind of put it down like oh no that's that's not a viable career path or hobby even and that kid stopped and now he's a man and he hasn't been creating and Brene's like I mourn the art that the world does not have because this young man ceased to create because that got shut down because it's such a vulnerable thing. So it's amazing how, how vulnerable creativity can be. And we really have to fight our own inner critics as well as the external ones and, and push forward anyway. Absolutely. And I, I think that that is the case with so many people. And that actually ties into my story in a very significant way. And that tension that you that you are focusing this podcast on. So I'm excited to share a little bit more about that. So for you, what has been a pivotal tension in your life that has shaped you and made you who you are today? Yeah, that's, it's a super, 
it's it's not an easy question, but it's a super easy answer for me because it there was kind of the before and the after, and that was my my divorce um, from my ex husband back in two thousand twelve. It's hard to think it's been eight years, but yeah. So I'm trying. I'm going to try to summarize so I don't linger too long on any of these parts of the story. But I was married for twelve years together with my ex for fourteen, and you know, got married. I didn't think I was young when I got married, but I was, I was 26. Um, no, I met him when I was 26. Sorry, I was 28. Still young. So when we got divorced, it was devastating. He left the marriage and it was not my choice. But at the end of the road, looking back, I actually think it was the right choice, but it was really, really, really devastating. And so out of that struggle, I mean, there was several years of just really, really mourning that. And you know, you have one plan for your life. You think it's going in one direction. You put all of your energy, all of your eggs in that basket and you go for it. And then someone pulls the rug out from underneath you and you're left with none of that. And none of the ideas that you had about your life going forward are going to happen. So we had just done this massive remodel. It was more than a remodel. We tripled the size of our house and we'd spent four years doing it, which I don't think ended the marriage, but I definitely think contributed to it. So People don't do a remodel if you're having marriage troubles. That's my advice for everyone. We had just, so we'd put all this energy into making this beautiful house. We had been trying to have kids and then things just went south. And that's a whole nother story. But the idea that everything, you know, being a, a, in a family with being a mom, and I, I wasn't super tied to the idea of being, it was just sort of the track. You know, when you're on a track, you just, this is what you do when you're 28. This is what you do when you're 30 and you go and it's the American dream and you're sort of we're, we're, we're sort of conditioned to think that this is what we want and we go for it. And, and there wasn't anything, honestly, in me, Gary, that was, had any idea that this was maybe not what I wanted. But when the moment happened and that rug did get pulled out, I was left with what I always call the blank canvas <laughs> as an artist. Oh, that's, I never thought of that before. I'm always, I'm like an artist metaphor. <laughs> but, you know, a blank canvas can be terrifying. What am I going to do? I'm lost now. Or you can say, wow, I have a completely new adventure in front of me. Now, I chose the latter, but it took a long time to choose that. You know, it, it, took, it took a couple years for me to transition through the terrifying to the, the, the choosing to engage in what was possible. And so when I decided to do that, it really happened because of some, you know, going back to the art process, I decided to walk the Camino de Santiago, which is a, for those of you that don't know what it is, it's a, it's a pilgrimage route in Spain and it's a 500 mile. It's actually quite, it can be much longer than that, but the route that most people walk is 500 miles. And it's basically from the border of France to a, the town of Santiago de Compostela, which is in the Northwest corner of Spain. And I walked this pilgrimage route with my sister. And during the process, I began to journal every day and, and I ended up drawing in my journal every single day and ended up being this very cathartic experience for me. Now, to just go back a few months prior to that, I hadn't really done much drawing. Um, it was really through my divorce process I started to journal and to draw my emotions. And so I started to go back into this space of creativity. And I realized in that process that I really, really wanted art to be and creativity to be a priority in my life again. It had always been very, very back burner. So as I started to do more artwork, and then I went on the Camino and I did all of these drawings, you know, you talk about that man who stopped drawing, that was me, you know, I really didn't, 
perceive that it could be a part of my life until, until I started drawing every day. And I thought, I don't care if this is something that makes me money. I don't care if this is something that will be a career. I just know that I have to do this in some way. This thing is therapeutic. It gives me peace. It quiets the voices in my head enough that I can calm down and, and be present. And so not only the art, but just being on the Camino gave me this really new perspective on life. And I realized that I wanted to be more present, to slow down, to, to view my life in a different way. So going from that contrast of the sort of the race uh, with my ex-husband to build the house, to have more, to do things in that sort of American dream mentality of more is better. And then I switched into this space where I was walking on this pilgrimage route with a backpack and I had never been happier in my whole life. So I, I started this, this, so that tension of like having that whole thing just implode on me and then having to kind of pick up the pieces and choose to walk down this different, literally choose to walk down this different path started to give me a new perspective on what my life, I wanted my life to look like. So in, I realized I don't really want this huge house. I don't really want this American dream. What do I want? And so I gave myself a couple years to just explore that idea. So I came back from the Camino. I continued my corporate job. I'd had my corporate job about, at that point, about 10 years. And in the process of that next year, I really struggled still with like the after effects of the divorce. And it wasn't until I decided to take the drawings that I'd done on the Camino and put them into a book that, uh, and then self-published that book that I realized that was the catalyst. I was like, I need to do this more. And so I ended up quitting my job. Um, actually I didn't quit my job. I was going to quit my job and then they laid me off, which is the best scenario ever. I was the happiest person let go ever. And they gave me a severance package. And so I basically sold everything I owned and headed off to, to Europe with a one-way ticket, uh, giving myself permission to be an artist for a year and a half without, the the burden of trying to do real life so I did it wasn't a, it was definitely an escape but man it was the best decision I ever made so I traveled for about 15 months and I drew and I blogged my way all the way through Europe um, I spent predominantly my time in Spain I went back and walked another pilgrimage route there's 12 different routes to Santiago 12 main routes to Santiago um, and then I spent a good amount of time in, in Scotland as well and that actually birthed the, the drawings for my second book, which I then published when I returned. But all of that to say that rebirth of me as an artist would never have happened had my divorce not happened. I can guarantee it. I mean, I can't guarantee it. I don't know for sure. But the path that I was on was not one of me investing in myself. Uh, it was more investing in this idea of what I thought my life should be. And that breaking down that that imploding gave me permission to be like, what, what do I want to be? Who do I want to be? What do I want my life to look like? And I was blessed and privileged enough to be able to do that and, and go take time for myself. I am walking with certain friends through divorce right now who are either have really little kids or they don't have the financial space or, you know, they just don't have that freedom to be able to go and do that. So I am so lucky and so blessed to have gotten that time but it really cemented in me that I wanted to pursue creativity in a, in a more profound way. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing all, all of that. I've heard it before, but it's inspiring in its own way that, you know, your whole world, your whole life you had known fell apart. And then to see 
what birthed in you from that process and especially through uh, your pilgrimages to in Spain. Yeah, so thanks for sharing. There's a point in there that actually connects to your podcast and um, you have a podcast. I do and I was, I was laughing because I, I didn't say that on who I am. It's, it's fairly new so I, I sometimes don't don't remember that I need to share that, that I'm like, oh yeah. 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 I, I, I have a podcast called Pilgrim Lost that I host, co-host with my friend, Tony Kriz. And we've been, we're new as well. So we just uh, September was, was our first podcast. So, um, and we, we talk about, we both did the pilgrimage in Spain, but really it's this idea of bringing those principles of pilgrimage home to the everyday. Like how can we how can we engage in those life-giving practices in the everyday? And so that's really what it's about. And that point you're making is exactly where I'm going. You, It's amazing that you got to go to Spain at, at that pivot point in your life. But for people who can't go on those ventures, and I mean, this applies now to quarantine. No one's going anywhere. But also in our daily life outside of this pandemic. I mean, I know this is like asking you to summarize your whole podcast in one sentence or two, but is there kind of a a piece of wisdom or advice you could give to people who want some kind of pilgrimage, they want to discover more of who they are, maybe just in general for growth's sake, or maybe because their life is falling apart from whatever extenuating circumstance. I was just, I actually just received an email this morning through the, through the website for Pilgrim Lost from a, a woman who I won't share details, but basically she just, she was sharing that she had never done really any artwork before or anything creative before. And we had shared about the hundred day project, which is uh, engaging in a practice an artistic practice for a hundred days. And she was sharing how meaningful it had been. She's been going through some really difficult illnesses. And for her, she started writing out every day a, a page in her journal of just what she's going through. And she just shared how helpful it had been in that creative time and she'd never heard of the heard of the 100 day project except for on our podcast so it's just really meaningful to hear that someone's being affected by the work that you do and so in that like really what Tony and I do every month we talk about some sort of practice that we learned or were exposed to or had the ability to understand more fully on the Camino and we talk about how can we do it in daily life. So for example, this, this month, uh, we, we are focusing on the theme of movement. So we have a theme every month. And movement, what does that look like? It looks like walking, maybe. It looks like going on a simple exploratory walk of your neighborhood. We can all do that, even during COVID. It's this idea of most of the time, people are in their cars 100% of the time racing from one place to another. But when you slow down and you actually just are in your body and you you notice the sun, you notice the, the breeze, you notice the incredible flowers in the spring, you have the ability to slow down and, and sort of mark time in a different way. Something like that can be really healing for people and it's accessible to everyone. So those types of themes are what we we sort of focus on. Every month we try to bring a new theme and that theme is not only do we reference how we engaged it on the Camino, but more importantly, how do we do it now in real life, in real time? And I feel like everything that we present is really simple. When I say simple, I mean simple to do in the sense you don't have to be have fancy things to do them. 
sometimes they can be really hard, exquisitely hard. For example, so last month we, we focused on the 100 Day Project. And I am on day 44, I think. And man, it's hard. <laughs> it's not an easy practice, but there is this beautiful sort of space of slowing down every day to do this drawing, you know? Even in COVID, do you feel like this, Gary, that sometimes even in COVID, we feel this need to we be super productive, you know? And everyone's like, you can't be productive. You're stuck at home. And we still feel like we need to have some sort of measure of, of value, you know? And so, you know, just taking a an hour to sit down and draw. I, I actually have my fish right here sitting next to me that I drew last night. And you know, there's no inherent value in drawing a fish, but it made me really happy. So sitting down and playing with paints and color and taking the time to do something that the world doesn't market as valuable. Does that make sense? Like our culture doesn't say, just go take a walk, go take a 30 minute walk and enjoy the spring. That isn't necessarily quote unquote productive, but these concepts, these ways of being are what we need as humans and what we need as people to connect to where we are and not try to escape. I'm the largest culprit you'll you'll find. When everything gets hard, I want to escape. I want to leave the country. I want to fly away. And we're we're all trapped here, right? We're trapped. So how do we how do we take away that trapped mentality and find contentment and peace in the space that we're in? And so trying to do simple things every day and if folks are interested, they I'm sure you'll share those those links with them on your pod, but it's pilgrimlost.com, and um, we we have two pods a week. Uh, excuse me, two pods a week, <laughs> two pods a month on the first and third Tuesdays of the month, and then we also share blogs the other Tuesdays. And so we're putting content out pretty much every week, and we really do focus on those simple practices that help you feel grounded in the space that you are. And one big thing that I want to share is the reason why Tony and I started this journey and this podcast together is not because we have it figured out. The whole idea of Pilgrim Lost is that we have not arrived. We are just as lost as everyone else. And the idea is that we start the conversation and start sharing how, how we can live fuller, better lives by being more present. And our little, our little tagline is, is get lost with us. You know, we're, we're trying this too. We are, it's just as much in the journey and in the questions. We don't have the answers, but we we want to start the conversation. So, yeah. And I love that too. I know from my own listening to the podcast, it's felt like you're sitting with friends having a conversation and especially going off of the rapport that you and Tony have as friends, like you feel the warmth, you feel your listeners feel like they are in this journey with you. And I've really appreciated that as a listener of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. I, it's always fun. I'm always like, Gary's listening. At least Gary's listening. <laughs> no, it's been, it's been a pleasure. It's been a, it is, it is, um, it's very convicting though, because every month I have to engage. I can't just, it's not just telling people, try this. I'm doing it. I'm doing the same thing that I'm, we're talking about. So I'm trying to, to engage in these practices and mindset just as much as everybody else. And it's just as hard for me as it is for other people. So I appreciate that because sometimes you feel like there's all this, this idea that, you know, people that you hear, you hear podcasts and they've got it all figured out. It's funny because Brene Brown is so self um, deprecating and funny. And like, she's just, you know, 
but I'm like, no, Brene, you've got it figured out. But she, she doesn't, she's figuring it out just as much as we are. And that is why people love her. That is why people are drawn to her because she is so vulnerable with all of her speed bumps and all of her foibles. And I think that that is important in any sort of practice where you're talking about how do people live life better is to share all of the speed bumps that you're encountering as well. I don't know. I don't know about you, but when I hear someone who says they've got the seventh step to whatever, I pretty much tune out. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think too that this notion, I think it's intrinsic and extrinsic. Like on one hand, there's people that definitely project an image that they have it all figured out. But then we also internally, for a lot of us, maybe like you and I, who are really hard on ourselves often and our inner critic speaks loudly, we do that comparison game where we feel like I'm a mess, but everyone around me has got it together. And I think circling back to that point we made before, it's like that comparison game, A, quashes creativity and B, it also kills relationships. I can't be present with you if I'm sitting here feeling like trash because I think I'm a mess and you have it like put together, you know? And so I think there's definitely responsibility for yourself and your own personal work and journey to remember, hey, I'm a mess and so is everyone else. And that's something I've been telling myself lately, even as I've started this podcast. It's, it's hey, I'm figuring this out. And guess what? Everyone else is too. Certainly some people have, you know, different resources for, for things like a podcast or, or whatever the creative venture is. But yeah, circling back, comparison is not good. It's awful. <laughs> so... We're all, we're all a mess together. That aspect is really, um, as I've been on this journey, I am very, very susceptible to comparison and feeling, you know, looking on Instagram and seeing other artists and thinking, oh, I wish my art was like theirs. And I just want to be, you know, I'm always, you know, it's like that grass is always greener, sort of like, oh, they look like they have such a better way of doing this. And having to really put my blinders on as much as I do engage in social media to the extent that I do, I have to shut that down for some people. And I think this is another thing is, is there's no right way to, to, to do this in the sense that for some people, for example, Instagram, incredibly inspiring. They find all sorts of inspiration. They peruse the internet and they glean out of it. Good things. For me, when I peruse the internet, when I go on Instagram, um, mostly I just feel crummy after it, after I'm, I, I feel less than. So for me personally and my personality, I have to put the blinders on in order to stay focused on just being in my creative world and understanding that that's not going to be the same for every person, but that it's almost this abundance versus scarcity complex. Like how, how do you view the world? Is there only enough value for only, you know, if this amount of art is good. And, and if you, you know, it's that idea of like, why should I do art? There's so much art out there that's already amazing. And that's the scarcity complex, right? And the idea that like, can you switch and look at life through this abundant viewpoint, right? That, that everyone has something valuable to say, and everyone's going to say it differently. And that has been a, a continual and continues to be an everyday journey for me to, to switch from the scarcity to the abundant perspective. And it always is so interesting when I'll get a message or an email from someone who's telling me that I'm the person they're looking at as the one with that they think, oh, your art's so amazing. I wish I could do it like you. And it's just 
mind blowing that they're, you, you know, when the situation was reversed and I have to, you have to realize like, there's always going to be, I don't want to say someone better than you, but you are the only person that has your voice and your story and your history and your ability to say the things that you want to say. And I think that's what it comes down to is, you know, you, you're, you're truly unique in what you can bring to the world. And, and if you don't bring that, no one else will. And so that's what I've had to sort of land on. That's so beautiful. And even with me, you talked about, this is my paraphrase, but comparison hindering creativity, which we touched on before. The idea of starting a podcast was incepted for me a year ago, but partly why it took a year besides the busyness of life and being really busy was social media in part, comparing myself to other people, looking at you know, maybe people that are quote unquote Insta famous or whatever, and feeling like, oh, I'll never be that. Or, oh, I could do a podcast about this thing. Oh, but someone's already doing this topic and they do it better. And it was all that compare that comparison was keeping me from doing it. And it took a pandemic and quarantine for me to A, quiet down enough and not be busy enough. And then also reading a lot of Brene Brown, but taking the time to listen to my own voice. And I came to that realization that that you were just saying of you were the only person with your voice. Literally no one, like, sure, you can maybe talk about a topic that thousands of other people can, but no one will hear it from your perspective and your story. And that is invaluable. So I'm really glad that you and I are, are fellow travelers and with everyone listening, we're all figuring this out together, finding our way and finding our voice and our creativity. And it's such a beautiful thing. So when you hang around me, you get a little bit um, probably tired of hearing like Camino flashbacks, but these, these sort of Camino lessons is the idea of just like one step at a time, right? You, it's, I think a lot of times as people, we look down the road and we're, we see the thing that we want to do and we're like, oh, I don't have the resources to do that. Or I couldn't be that person or I'll never reach that, that spot that they've reached. But just like you shared, you know, you just started doing small things. And now you have released a podcast. You are light years ahead of where you were. And it took little steps, right? It's never a giant leap. There's never just like you're here and then suddenly you're across the you're across the, the valley, right? Or the chasm. You have to climb down the wall and then make your way through the valley and then climb back up on the other side. And those are just like little steps every day. And you know, when you start the Camino, you're like, there's no way in hell I'll be able to walk five hundred miles. That sounds, you know, ridiculous. But you do, you just take steps every day and you finally get there. And so it's, I have to always, always constantly remind myself that when I embark on a new big project and it feels overwhelming and I feel unprepared, unskilled, un, unwhatevered to, to do the thing I'm doing and say, okay, well, what do you, what can you learn today? What's the next step you can take today to get you towards that goal? And so um, that is also, uh, you know, I think something that every artist, creator, maker, needs to remember right mm -hmm. yeah this image that keeps coming to mind for me that we've been hitting on and i also recently read in a new book i got you know i'm going to school to be a therapist uh starting grad school this fall and it's not required reading but my program director did recommend a book to my cohort called the gift of therapy by irvin Yahom, I believe it is. And they're little sound bites, what he would tell. He's 70 years old. He's been in psychotherapy for decades. 
and it's him imparting little gems of wisdom to younger therapists or soon to be therapists. And anyway, one of the tips he offered was this notion of rather than having a power dynamic of therapist, client, or fill in the blank, it's fellow travelers. And we were talking about this before, but this fellow travelers, like that phrase just keeps cycling in my mind as we've been talking and doing this interview. And it's just such a beautiful metaphor for a life well lived. And I'm also going to say a resilient life, which leads me into my next question. What, what kept you afloat when your marriage fell apart and, and what keeps you afloat now? It's, it's really interesting because I actually, I have been prompted lately by the artistic muse or the divine or whatever you want to call it, that I, I need to do something creative surrounding the work, the artistic work I did during my divorce. And I created a lot of pieces. So I think, I think the combination of my faith and my creativity were the things that kept me going. I had this really unique, interesting experience where I hadn't done this before, where I would, um, so I come from a Christian background. And in that time period, I basically would read the Psalms, which are these, mostly these, you know, these beautiful pieces of poetry and they're, you know, they're words of praise. They're many, many, many of them are just lamentations, like words of crying out and grief. And they seem to really match what I was feeling at the time. And so I would read through them and then I would ask the divine for a picture and I would paint the picture. So I would paint the picture and then I would usually have that picture for the week and I would put it right by my bed. And then I would continue reading through the Psalms with that picture. And most of this, it was kind of, it was crazy, Gary, but there was, you know, I'd get a picture of like a lighthouse. And then the next Psalm that I would read after having painted it would be about the light and the da da da, you know. I mean, I do believe that we can see things when we're prompted, you know, just like when you buy a car and you're like, oh, I see the car everywhere now. <laughs> but I do believe that it was this really intimate, it was the first time where I really felt that God, was speaking to me directly in this time of deep, deep grief. And the thing that was so interesting about the time, though, is it wasn't, I will save you, or here's how to get out of this. It was just basically like, I'm with you. And so that really started shifting how I viewed the divine. And it it was something that was really, really precious to me during that time. And so that really was the kickstarter of doing more artwork. And then that really transitioned into, you know, where I, I ended up drawing on, the, I took a class um, for the first time in like 20 years. And then I ended up on the Camino with my journal. And so that art making process was, it was sort of my lifeline. And I, I, I don't necessarily, I, I don't think I'd thought of it before as resiliency, but it was, it was the thing that sort of kept me going during that time. And so now going back, really art making is that thing that grounds me. And certainly, you know, my faith has really shifted and changed over the years as far as doctrine or various things. But there is still this gift that I've been given to create is really comes from the divine. And it is this expression. And it's this intimate space between me and that voice that gives me those things to paint. So when I think of the word resilient, I think that, yeah, I definitely think that that is a huge piece of it. The other piece of it that's very different than that is, and I don't know if there would be one one thing I could point to, but 
having gone through that process of having everything crumble and then sort of rebuilding my life again, just having this concept that I had the thing that I thought was the worst thing sort of happened to me. And I came out of the other side of it, just taking one step in front of the other, uh, like, and trying to hear like my inner voice of like what I wanted and recognizing and listening to that, that I was able to build this life that I loved. And I think there's this idea that like you're, there's this idea a lot of people have like, oh, I'm 40, I'm too old to change this thing I don't like about my life, or I'm too this, or I, it's too late. And that might even be one of your questions, I think, that what, what one thing would you say to people? Because I've read your questions. And it, it's this idea that wherever you're at, like, you're not stuck there. And there might be a lot of things that are keeping you there. But I think this idea that we can change, you know, it's never too late to do something new, is what I would like that sounds very memeish, and like I should write a have a little sampler, but it's so true. I was forty one when my divorce became official, and so really, I've really started my artistic journey at forty one. I mean, I'd done some drawing before then, but I would not have said that I was an artist as far as like the way I am now. And so to have switched kind of tracks in my mid forties. I think when I was in my 30s, I thought, there's no way I'm already on this track. I can't, I can't go and be this other person now. And I think that is a lie. So whatever thing you're dreaming, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's that the, the idea that I could switch paths and that I could start a whole new life. Like that just, that was what made me resilient is the fact that I'm like, I'm doing this thing. I'm walking, I'm going to go do this thing I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to make a book. I'd always wanted to write a book and publish a book my whole life. I was doing it at 40. Like I was starting to do some of the things that I had wanted to do and I had dreamed about, but I had put away as not possible. And so as those things started to come to fruition, I think that built up my strength. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, I can do this. I can make this change and I can make it permanently. It doesn't have to just be what I'm doing in this moment, but I can switch the course of my life and I don't have to stay in the same space. And so, yeah, so the combination of all those things, I think my faith, that art process and just the ability to step out and do something kind of brave and different and step out of the box. And people were like, Oh, you're quitting your corporate job. Whoa, that's a big deal. Can I come with you? (laughs) And I think a lot of people want to do something different with their lives, but they're afraid. And it definitely, and here's the thing, that's what comes back to the beautiful tension is that, had it not been for that tension, I would not have done those things. I would not have become the person that I am today. So all of that pain, it would be wonderful if we could always say that pain translates into beauty and it doesn't always, but in this case, it definitely did. And I'm super grateful. I would never have been the person that I am today. That sounds so cliche, but it's so true. Had I not walked through that and had to, had to reinvent my life. That's beautiful. And you answered my next question. What would you share with the world? <laughs> You're on it. You did your homework. <laughs> Woohoo! It's never too late, people. It's never too late. Hmm. Thank you, Kari. There's so many gems in there. And I know that a lot of people are going to appreciate hearing about you and your story. I loved hearing it again. I know I feel energized and inspired after talking to you today. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Gary. It was a pleasure. One final question as we wrap up here. We've touched on it throughout the podcast, but for those listening that want to 
find you, see what you're up to, find your work, follow your 100-day project. Where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me um, online. My website is karigale, K-A-R-I-G-A-L-E.com. That's all my artwork. My website for my podcast is pilgrimlost.com. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, my handle is Kari M, as in magnificent. Hey. Sorry, <laughs> I was like, what was I going to say? Kari M. Gale. That is where you'll find all my 100-day projects. And I also have, on my Instagram, I have a link to everything else that has ever is going on in my life. So you can find that link on my profile on Instagram, and that'll take you to all the other, all the other things that I'm doing. Awesome. Thanks so much. It was so good to do this with you. I am so blessed to be your friend and property mate or neighbor, whatever we're calling it. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, she lives in a tiny house on our property, so it's kind of neighbor, property mate. Anyway, but this was great. You're awesome. So thank you. Take care. Welcome to a segment I like to call The Resilience Room, a place where we share tips and tricks to living a more resilient life. So for today's guest, we have my friend David. David shares about the importance of community and how now more than ever, we need community. David's reminder is wonderful and one we probably need every day. Take it away, David. People need other people. Katniss couldn't break the spell of the game on her own. Martin Luther King Jr. didn't tackle civil rights on his own. Harvey Milk didn't solve LGBTQ equality on his own. Even America herself could not be what it is by itself. Hence the beginning, we the people. At times, we can bury ourselves in thinking we are the only one facing something. We do this to a point of self-isolation. Stop and look up. Remember that we all need each other. We are not alone. Find strength in numbers. The old saying goes, you know, that it takes a village. And I wholeheartedly believe that. Especially now in the face of COVID-19, as well as the Black Lives Matter movement. So I encourage you to stop and look up. We are not alone. Is there something that helps you stay resilient? Let me know. You can message me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Gary Conahan. You can also reach me on the podcast's Instagram account, Beautiful Tension Pod. That's P-O-D as in podcast. I know there's so much wisdom out there, and I'd love to feature you. Thanks, and I'll catch you next time. Man, wasn't that good? What I appreciate most about Kari's story is the way in which she leaned into the tension after her marriage fell apart. Though there was chaos for a while, and it certainly wasn't easy, ultimately she listened to her voice, she followed her passions, and she's since seen incredible beauty from all of those things. I hope you enjoyed hearing her story just as much as I did. To all my listeners, artists, and creatives alike, and I mean all of you there because we all create things, Thanks for listening to this episode. You, the listener, make this show possible. Speaking of which, if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider making a small donation to help support the podcast. You can do so at anchor.fm forward slash beautiful tension, which is also listed in the show notes. 
You can also rate and review the podcast, share beautiful tension with anyone you know, and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss future episodes. I appreciate your support. Well, that's all I've got for today. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on Beautiful Tension.